Hello everyone, welcome to MedCast again with another episode. I'm Sal Hogarty as always, and today I'm here with Mrs. Stevens. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I was actually thinking about doing something with health literacy for my DMP project, so this was kind of oh, streaming together, right. so it's, so it's is, perfect. Well, that's good then. So can you tell us a little about, about yourself? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Jamie. I am a RN BSN prepared from East Carolina. Go Pirates. Yes. And I have been a nurse since 2014. I started the baby track of first I became a CNA and I worked as a CNA and then I became an LPN and I went to Wayne Community College for my RN and then did the RN to BSN transition program at East Carolina. Now I'm in the DMP program so I can get my doctorate in nursing practice for adult gerontology. So I'll be a nurse practitioner as well as working towards getting my nursing leadership post-master's degree and disaster management certificates. Oh wow, so it's a lot, that's really cool. You're doing a good amount. Well I'm working on it. So (laughs) for for the majority of my career I've done geriatrics. Mm -hmm. So I've done long-term care. It's been the bulk of my career. That's my bread and butter. I love my older adult. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also have worked at Vident, which is now ECU Health. Yeah. And I've done ICU, trauma ICU, med surge, a little little bit of everything. I've even worked at doctor's offices. Like I worked at Dr. Motoparthy's office here in town. Yeah. Everybody knows Dr. Motoparthy Mm -hmm. here because he's been practicing for forever. Forever. <laughs> and he's never going to stop, I swear. No, I don't think so either. Do you think literacy impacts health? And to what degree do you think it does? In general, yes. Literacy as well as health literacy Im- impacts good health outcomes. Mm-hmm. So there's been a big push in healthcare, I'd say, within the last 10 years that we need to have more patient-centered care and patients need to be active participants in their care versus before it was providers say, hey, this is what you need to do and do it. There was no discussion involved. But we've learned throughout the years that if patients are more involved in their care, they're going to be more compliant with their treatment program and have better health outcomes. And it also decreases health costs, which isn't important to me personally necessarily, but it's important to the patient as well as the whole healthcare system in general if we decrease the demand. Yes. How do you personally feel about the gap between literacy and health, which may be causing this exhaustion of resources? Do you do you think it's a big problem or? Yes. It's a big problem. Especially, I mean, not to plug rural North Carolina in, but there's actually two doctors from UNC Chapel Hill that made the health literacy map of the whole United States and put wow. us into categories. I think it was, please don't quote me on this, That's but right. Dr. Fang and Dr. Bailey, okay. they made this map and basically put us into categories of, you know, proficient, inadequate and like there's different levels and North Carolina was actually one of the lowest levels of health literacy in the United wow, States. Wow, that's really bad. <laughs> and Eastern North Carolina is that's actually particular. even even worse, this rural area of Eastern North Carolina. The American Academy of Nurses said that in the, there's about only a 12% of the population is, well they'd say proficient in health literacy. So, that's... and North Carolina is even lower. So getting us getting that push to increase that number would be huge yeah. in our care in general because we have more complex comorbidities, 
and people don't understand their condition. So it's like, if you don't understand your condition, how can you help yourself in treating your condition? Mm -hmm. And that does exhaust the resources because people are going back to the hospital more frequently. They're getting sicker. They're not seeking preventative care. If we had more preventative care, then the hospital wouldn't be so exhausted. Right. And so that would, and that, that would fix a lot of other problems, but Health literacy, when I've been doing this podcast, is a lot about leading to other problems. You know, it like it cascades into other problems. And so I think fixing it would, would help a lot. Um, not just the health literacy part, but a bunch of other stuff. Like explain to somebody, it's like sometimes as the provider or as the nurse even, we get caught up in, in our profession, what would be common knowledge. Right. And we just assume that that is common knowledge for the rest of the population. But when in fact, it's not. So it's like we're trying to start you off at, say, level five because right. it's common knowledge to us, but it's not and common knowledge to the rest of the population. So it's like you're educating people at a level five when really you need to start at level one or two. We learned all that stuff in school, so we just automatically assume it's, it's innate. It's not. So that actually plays in perfectly with the next question I was going to ask you, which is um, when you think about how they're seeing profession, when you were a nurse doing some, you know, practicing and you were with other providers and doctors, how did you specifically explain and convey confusing or maybe sometimes difficult medical jargon to your patients in a more simplified way? How did you bring it down from level five to level like Almost zero, right? Because low literacy is so prevalent in East North Carolina. How do you do that? How do you bring that to that level? It's hard and it's time consuming, which is the biggest, I'd say biggest problem in healthcare is we're trying to see there's not enough providers in Eastern North Carolina. It's hard to get providers to come here. That's why there's that push for nurse practitioners to be right. able to yeah. like be their own practicing authority. It's because we just don't have enough to, to treat the people. So we're seeing patients in these 15 to 30 minute sound bites during the day. Yes. And how do you teach somebody about diabetes in 15 minutes yeah, like when they impossible. know nothing about it or, um, or even hard for them to understand what even high blood pressure even means if they don't even understand what pressure or anything like the word itself so yeah exactly it's like with, impossible, I how do you teach somebody what high blood pressure is you have to go through what blood pressure even means what is right. blood pressure yeah that's a good point what is high blood pressure what number does that mean what does the top and the bottom number mean because a lot of times i'll have people they'll come in we'll check their blood pressure you do it at every office and they'll go that's good right or if my blood pressure is okay because they'll say oh it's 140 over 90 and they're like that's pretty good right and i'm like well mm. it's okay but no no we really want that to be lower yeah. but they're they're assuming that 140 over 90 that's great it was 160 over 90 and I'm like well if it used to be 160 over 90 then you're doing a lot better but yeah. that's not where so we want you at 120 or so right so it's well, it depends. 110 or so. Depends yeah. on age and a yeah. bunch of different other things. But still, you're like, and that's another thing. They're like, my niece went to the doctor and they said they wanted her blood pressure to be less than 120 over 80. But my doctor is telling me it should be 130 over 80. And they're like, so well, it, it just depends. depends on, and then trying to explain that to people is, is challenging. The question in a way is like you try to slow it down, I guess, and you try to... You have to break stuff down smaller than you would to... Than what you really would think you should. Than you, what you would think you should. If you think that you're explaining it enough, and a lot of times it's body language and mm, yeah. developing that rapport with the patient and having them feel like it's a 
judgment-free zone. Like I'm, I'm not judging. I just want to know kind of what's going on to help you. That kind of helps bring out and you can tell by their body language and how they're looking at you, if they're understanding and if you need to break it down some more or does this person need something visual, like something in front of them. A lot of times me having a conversation, I mean, even being a healthcare professional, I've gone to the doctor, they tell me a bunch of stuff and then when I leave, I'll call my mom or call a friend and they'll be like, how'd the doctor go? What'd they say? Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. They told me that I got some prescriptions to pick up at the at the pharmacy. I don't really know what, I don't know. Right, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of nodding head, nodding yeah. my head and uh -huh. smiling. Like That's, when you get the nod and the yeah. smile or you get the, the looking at the family member. A lot yeah. of times people bring their wife or their husband and they'll just, are you understanding right. what's going on? And so you bring up the wife and the other people who they bring to help them. In your experience, did you guys, how did you guys deal with language barriers? How did you provide them with the best care you could have? The correct way would be to call the interpretive service yeah. and speak with the interpreter and have the interpreter speak with right. them. But a lot of times in some settings, that's not always the, realistic. Right. And then you worry, is the person that's with them translating what I'm saying how I'm saying it, way. or is it a language barrier? Like something simple as every, the doctor said everything's gonna be fine, and then, you know, they might say something slightly different, but that has a completely different connotation. No, connotation to it, yeah. It can be very challenging, and I've learned that, unfortunately, with the Spanish-speaking community here, they're very passive. They kind of, because they don't mm. understand, they kind of like let you do whatever you feel like they need to do. They just right. kind of like go along. And, and then when they leave, it's like they don't really do much else for themselves, I guess, either, right? Or well, it's hard for them to... Oh, and it's hard, and it's like, I mean, something as simple as getting the instructions and having them be translated or printed in Spanish. I'll, I try to do that a lot, especially if I can't, if I'm if I'm not sure we're, we're having a, a good conversation, I'll get the resources and print them in Spanish. Or make sure you call the pharmacy and have them print the label in Spanish. It's that little stuff, that easy stuff, but it's time consuming for mm -hmm. a provider. So that's usually where the nurse kind of steps in to make sure we're hitting all those marks. Because mm -hmm. the provider is going to write the prescription, but I'm going to be the one that's calling the pharmacy saying, hey, make sure you put those instructions in Spanish. Because take once a day, once, once, spell it exactly the same. <sighs> but on say is 11. 11. You don't want them to take 11 pills a day. Right. Little stuff that's like that is true. huge. That's really big. And also if if someone, they can't even read their own language either, right? Yeah. I mean, I bet there's a lot of people in the Hispanic community who's like, knows how to speak and knows how to speak with their friends and stuff, but then reading is like, it's the same as someone who can speak English, but then cannot read it. Yeah. So yeah, no, I know it's a big problem. So there is a word I stumbled upon doing my research with all this is a recidivism. And do you know what that is? So recidivism is, to put in plain terms, it's when a patient is given some instructions on what to do. And then they initially are like, okay, yeah, that's fine, I'll do that. But then when they get home or they get somewhere else where they need to do what they need to do, go pick up the pills, or they end up just coming back to the hospital because they don't do what they were told correctly. It's like and a cascade. Right, they come back and it's just like, you've already given them the health they needed, but they come back. So that happens, that happens, happens a, lot. a lot. So I was gonna ask like, how much do you think that happens when you relate back to health literacy? I mean, do you think that happens a lot? Have you seen that a lot in your personal experience? Yes, and it can be it can be frustrating, and a lot of times providers as well as nurses, we get caught in the, well, they're just not compliant. I've tried my right. best. I can't help right. them. They're just not compliant, which is true. They aren't compliant, but taking it that step further and trying to figure out, well, why didn't that work? For the most part, people want to be healthy. They want to do right. They want to take their medicines. They wouldn't have came to you in the first place if right. if they didn't want, want your help. So true. then trying to figure out, okay, we went through all of this. I spent 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long, 
explaining it to you. I thought you got it, but now you're back. So something, something must have happened, happened along the line. What, what can I do to help this person be more successful with their own health? Sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's they, they, they can't read. And I, I printed them out instructions that says, take this once a day, do this, do this, and, and they can't read it. So we talked about it and then they went home and they were like, did she say take it once a day or take it twice a day? And then they look at the paper I gave them and they're like, well, I can't even read it. So, so I don't, and, there, and a lot of people, I mean, are self-conscious about not only health literacy, but literacy in general. It's like most people aren't just gonna come out and tell you when you hand them a paper saying, here's your instructions. They're not gonna say, oh, I can't read. Right, and so that's another thing. I they go, oh, okay, home. thanks, and then they go home, and then this gets thrown on thrown their desk. The trash or, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or just, like, lost. They don't even, it's just, like, no point even looking at it. So it's, like... It's hard for people to admit. I mean, I would imagine myself, if I was in that situation, it'd be hard for me to admit that I can't read in front of... In front of people, especially who have a high status of education, it's hard to admit to someone like that that you have a problem like that. But I feel like it should be normalized that That's... you're supposed to go there for that help. Like those doctors are there to like, or doctors or nurses or nurse practitioners are there to, to help not you. be scary, right? They're supposed to be like, hey, if I can't read it, please ask me. I'll definitely want you to read. I'd rather read it to you or do any way of how you can remember Figuring it. out some other way. Right, so you don't, so this recidivism doesn't happen again. I because... took care of a guy um, actually in a clinical and because it was I was in school, I had the time to a lot with him to really figure out what his problem was, good why he was so non-compliant. Because right. they were just like, he's got high blood pressure, he's got congestive heart failure, his legs are swollen. We tell him to take his Lasix, which is to get the fluid, the fluid off. Out. And he doesn't take it, and or he does, and we don't know what he's doing. I actually told him, I was like, okay, come. I could tell that you know the education level wasn't very high, and maybe he had some reading issues. He wasn't obviously gonna come out and tell me he had reading problems, but I told no. him, I said, okay, you're coming back next Monday. I said, on Monday, bring all of your pills, every single one of them, what you're taking, what you're mm. not taking, what you've kept in a drawer, everything. I want everything you've ever taken. If it's a vitamin, I want it all. Oh, wow. Bring bring it all. So he brings me this huge, <laughs> I mean, huge sack of pills. Like he had it in a, a cooler and it was like this big pack of pills. That's insane. And I mean, stuff was prescribed from different doctors and prescribed from, or we've said, okay, stop taking this one and start taking this dose. Well, they don't throw away that pill bottle because they might need it later. And financial means is a, another part of this. They're not going to throw away something that they might have to use later. It's so, expensive. It's expensive. Then they get confused because it's like, am I supposed to take this 20 bottle, this 40 bottle? You know, what am I What am I doing? So I, it's like I actually went and I got him those little dollar pill organizers morning and right, evening. Right, so I was going to ask, yeah. And I, and I, every Monday, until he got the hang of it, I put his pills in the thing and we went over it every time, like, what's this pill for? And I wrote on there, what's this pill for? Lasix. Okay, it's, that's your fluid, fluid pill. Yeah. Like, you have to break it down sometimes that simple. And every Monday, because he had to come in because we had to rewrap his legs, like every Monday we went through that stuff again and again until he could do it himself. Then he'd come in the next Monday and he showed me, look, I put my pills in the thing and I checked them and made sure they were all right. That's good. Well, and then he also felt Enabled, motivated yeah. and encouraged to take care of his own self. He felt like he had some authority in his own care, which perpetuated him doing even better. I wish in the perfect world that... We could all do that for everybody. Right, that all the doctors <laughs> could do that, right? Yeah. And I wish it would happen, but it's hard. And so that kind of brings me into the next 
part about how do you address this issue and like what do we do? So do you think in the medical community, in the medical world, do you think there is enough awareness and motivation of health literacy to help elicit a movement towards fixing the problem? I think that we are getting there. Okay, we're getting there. I think that, you know, it took us a while to figure out patients needed to be a part of their own care, to be an active participant in coming up with a plan. That took us a while. We're, we're, we're pretty much on that page now. We figured that out. We've all gotten in a routine of making uh -huh. sure that the patient's an active participant. So now we have to take it one step further and being how do we get them to be the best active participant that we can possibly make them. And that's when health literacy like comes into right. that, that aspect. So I feel like we're it's like we're 90% there and this health literacy push is like the 10% that we're missing. And it's one of those things that it's gonna be very time consuming to start that initiative now, because you know, you're know you starting from square one, but I think once people became more literate in their own care, then that would eventually decrease the stress on the healthcare system by not having to come back so many times and not having to return to the hospital or just go to the emergency room. I mean, we've, we have so many people go to the emergency room for non-emergent things, either because they don't have primary care right. or because they don't understand. Like, my child has a fever, we're going to the emergency room. Well, did you take Tylenol? Did you do this? Did you, you know, all that stuff? Right, no. Or, or we just go to the family doctor or something. Yeah. Right. How do you think the medical personnel, how do you think they rank this problem of health literacy? Because I know there's a bunch of problems with health regarded as just like dealing with patients, dealing with the hospital systems, dealing with just a bunch of other stuff. How would you rank health literacy among the other problems that are prevalent in the medical community? I mean, off the top of my head, I'd have to say like top two. Top, top two? Yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure as a nurse, I probably see it as more of a problem because I'm, right. I see the patients longer. Longer. And I see them for more times. I know about their kids. I know about their uh -huh. wife. I know about their right, dog. Right. Like we we learn <laughs> more of a personal level. Yeah, we learn them on more of a personal level than the provider has time, and it's not it's not anything against the provider. They have a limited amount of time with each patient. That's just how it works. That's why we have nurses. If the provider could do it all, they would there wouldn't be a nurse <laughs> involved. So I see it as a bigger problem because a lot of times the provider doesn't have enough time or spends enough time with the patient to pick up on those context clues that there might mm. be something missing that there might be something that they're not understanding a lot of times at least when i go to the provider it's how's everything going you doing good you taking your medicine you still taking this stuff okay great let me listen to your heart let me listen to your lungs okay do you <laughs> have any it. do you have any questions mm -mm, mm -mm. i don't want to ask you not one thing nope i'm good and then they're like all right well you have a great day bye bye right okay. right right and then the nurse comes in and they're like okay how you doing? You all right? Did you understand everything that the doctor said? <sighs> Nurses are the top-rated, trusted profession. We're the biggest bulk of the healthcare profession. Oh, man, yeah. The nurse usually, I don't know if I want to say, it's a little less judgmental of a scenario or a more trusted or they feel we're on this closer of the same level. Like when you were saying, it's, it's intimidating to be talking and asking questions to somebody with such a high education. I guess we're maybe we're more approachable. Like, what are some steps that medical community is already taking to help the health literacy issue? What are some things that maybe they could then improve on to top of that? Okay, one thing that... That you see, you know. We've always done in the nursing field is we do... It's called Teach Back, which is, I mean, yeah, you know, so I've heard about this. We, we always do, it's called the Teach Back Education. It's like if you... If I sit here and I tell you a bunch of stuff and then I say, okay, great, you have a good day. Yeah, I taught it to you, but do you understand? 
I don't, I don't know. I didn't verify. So a lot of times we talk about it and then I say, okay, now can you tell me what I just said? Can you tell me how you would give yourself an insulin injection? Or can you show me how you would check your blood sugar? Not just me telling you, like show me and how you do doing it. doing it. Yeah. That, and that verifies to me that you understood what was going on. That's so that's some, something that- It's important to get one thing to do. We've always, we've always done that, but taking it, taking it one step further and starting like at the hospital, starting that education process, not when you're thinking about discharge, but when you've admitted that person. Uh-huh, yeah. So we say that we do that. You always say you're thinking about discharge as soon as the person gets admitted, but realistically, we, we don't always carry that through. We don't start talking about the diagnosis, like why were you admitted to the hospital? Let's tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times they don't know why they're there or what's going on until we're about to say, okay, goodbye kick you out. So explaining to them every day, like coming in and saying, hey, the, the provider came in and they just did rounds on you. What did they talk about? Do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about what they said and what's going on and ask the provider questions? A lot of times I show up when the provider is doing rounds. So that way I can judge whether the patient's listening, are they interested? Do they want to know more questions? And I'll, and I'll stop. Sometimes they don't appreciate it, but I'll stop the provider and be like, hey, I think Miss so-and-so has questions about you're putting her on new medicines can you kind of just go back in and tell her about those medicines what they're for and yeah and that's good that's like a good liaison between you and the patient and the doctors like it, it gives it makes sure that they get the care they need and they also feel comfortable and then also then the doctor knows and maybe the next time he'll do that right or he or she will do that well and a lot of times like doctors have gotten a lot better over uh-huh. i mean since i have worked about being sure. more approachable and and That's being good. more patient-centered and more and talking with the patient instead of talking about the patient does that make sense mm-hmm. they've gotten a lot i mean i feel like the old school used to be like i come in me and my little team we round we talk about you like in the room with you they literally talk about yeah, them in the room seems... and then they leave and then the patient's like what did that doctor say i yeah. couldn't hear him or a lot of times they can't understand the doctor accent barriers and dialect barriers as well as hard of hearing a lot of our patients are hard of hearing elderly they can't hear so it's like they only get about i'd say 10 percent of what the doctor said so then it's my job to explain to them the rest of it and same at the nursing home you know a lot of our doctors they have accents or they don't speak loudly enough or, or right i mean and just little nitpicky things like that is just makes the big, biggest difference i feel like yeah and i have patient. i have one doctor that round he wants you to go with him and you round with every patient with him so that way when the patient's like what did he say and i just sit there and i just basically reiterate it so for them and or explain it to them differently so that way yeah, the difficult medical drama you yeah simplify it. I appreciate you coming and talking to me. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's good to see a side of, of someone that's a nurse and going into nurse practitioner because you you see things differently than what a provider would see. So I appreciate you talking to me today. Thank no you. shade to providers. I love all no, of them. Of they do a not. great job. Of course. But I understand for sure. Well, thanks guys for listening again. We'll be back with another episode um, following, but thanks for listening today. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am.